0: Well, thanks for joining us today for the Patterson Podcast special episode today with best-selling author of a book called The Oxygen Advantage. His name is Patrick McEwen, and he has coached over 5,000 people, both professional athletes and also Olympians, on how to use the breath to achieve optimum results. And today we're going to talk about the breath, how we should breathe, and how it can impact our health. So welcome, Patrick. Thanks so much for coming on this episode.
1: Thanks very much, Clint. I'm, I'm very happy to be chatting about this. Um, I think it's a very important story. And it was a few weeks ago we received an email of somebody who had come across your work who was using it and they said, well, the two of us should be put together. So that's how the contact was made. It's good. Um, isn't it? The world is a small place like I'm in a small little place now in the West of Ireland and you're in Australia, you know, it's easy to bridge that gap. We're each at the other side of the world. Um, I think the breath is a fundamental place. And in terms of human physiology, if, for instance, we were to come across somebody who was looking for cardiopulmonary resuscitation, the first thing that to do to check is airway. Bread is king and airway trumps everything. We know as human beings that we need a certain amount of food each day, not too much, not too little. We also need to drink a certain amount of water each day, not too much, not too little. We can actually drink too much water, too, which is which can be toxic. But with breathing, nobody seems to know how much air should we breathe. And given the importance of it, you know, in terms of human survival, I think it's very important that we know that it must fall within defined parameters. Now, our breath changes. Many factors change our breathing. Um, Stress, for example, will change our breathing. Excessive talking, lack of physical exercise, stuffy environments and Human, you know, the modern life, factors of modern living are changing breathing. And it's not making us breathe less, it's actually making us breathe more. So sometimes that can be a hard, you know, pill to swallow when I say it for the first time. I, for 20 years, had very bad asthma. I had obstructive sleep apnea. I had fatigue. I had high stress levels. I was a chronic mouth reader. My nose was always blocked. And I came across this in 1997 and I first learned how to decongest my nose, which I can show, you know, the exercise is very easy. And I switched to nose breathing and it was remarkable the difference it made to my life. But despite going to healthcare professionals for 20 years, as a child, as a teenager, nobody once said, Patrick, breathe through your nose. Now, we know from studies that 50 percent of children habitually mouth breathe. It hasn't that I'm aware of being studied in adults. I have not seen a figure, but I think it's in around the same. The context of this is that the human nose performs 30 functions in the human body. That was written by Dr. Morris Cottle back in the 1970s. He was a near nose and throat consultant. One of the functions that the nose performs is that there's a gas called nitric oxide that's released from the paranasal sinuses into the nasal cavity. And when we breathe lightly through our nose, we carry a higher concentration of nitric oxide into the lungs and nitric oxide opens up the airways, but nitric oxide also assists in our arterial oxygen uptake. Nose breathing has been proven. Um, Professor John Lundberg from the Karolinsk Institute in Sweden. He's written many papers on this about the benefits of nasal nitric oxide for arterial oxygen uptake. We can improve the oxygen uptake in the blood. Now the key is, When the oxygen is carried in the blood, it's carried by haemoglobin. And in order for oxygen to be released from haemoglobin, we need another gas, and that's called carbon dioxide. But if we breathe too much, we get rid of too much CO2. So we lose carbon dioxide because it's our breath that determines the concentration of carbon dioxide in the blood. And if, for instance, we are breathing too much, of course, we're going to get rid of carbon dioxide from the lungs too much of it. And as a result, we're going to reduce the concentration of CO2 in the blood with lower levels of CO2 in the blood. Oxygen isn't released so readily from the red blood cells. And that's called a Bohr effect that was discovered back in 1904. Now, those two things point to something. I was told two things back in 1997. I was told to breathe through my nose and I was told to breathe light. That's what I practiced and it changed my life. And when you look into the medical physiology, um, a normal medical textbook will show the oxygen dissociation curve. It will show the relationship between carbon dioxide and oxygen. In the Western world, um, we have this belief that oxygen is good. Carbon dioxide is bad. That's not true. We can have too much oxygen. That's why we have antioxidants. And we have too little carbon dioxide. In order for oxygen transfer to take place from the blood to the cells, we need carbon dioxide. Not too much, not too little. And that's what the whole premise is, you know, in improving health, because with modern life, we have developed this habit of breathing too much. And carbon dioxide isn't just a facilitator in the release of oxygen from the red blood cells. It also relaxes smooth muscle. And smooth muscle surrounds our blood vessels, but also surrounds our airways. So we have 100,000 miles of blood vessels throughout the body. And through our breath, we can influence whether we are opening up our blood circulation or constricting it. And I suppose, you know, when I'm trying to communicate this to individuals, I ask people, well, how would you breathe when you get stressed? You know, and they'll say, I say, do you breathe faster or do you breathe slower? And they say, well, when I get stressed, I breathe faster. And I say, do you breathe using your upper chest or your diaphragm when you're stressed? And they say, I breathe using my upper chest. I sigh more when I stress. I take bigger breaths in, my breathing becomes noisier. So I I breathe more when I'm stressed and I say, well, how do you feel? Like, how would you feel if you continue taking those big breaths? And they say, well, I get lightheaded, I get dizzy. And I said, what does that suggest? Now we know what stress breathing is about. And it's on this basis that it doesn't make sense to take that deep, big breath of fresh air because we're already breathing too much during the stressful event. We should be doing the opposite instead of breathing faster we need to breathe slowly. Instead of breathing using the upper chest, we do need to breathe using the diaphragm, but lightly. We do deep breathing, but we do light breathing. Instead of sighing, we want to achieve regular breathing. Instead of over breathing, we want to have normal breathing. So I can go through, you know, a couple of different exercises and then your own listeners can practice it because I think ultimately the proof is, can we influence blood circulation? through the breath? Can we influence body temperature? And can we influence the amount of saliva in the mouth? And can we open up the upper airways? Now, the first exercise, do you mind if I do it with you?
0: Look, you're on a roll. Just you keep talking. You, you keep talking and uh, we'll just listen along. This is fascinating.
1: Okay. So the first exercise to decongest the nose and um, rhinitis affects about 30% of the, the Western population. So their nose gets stuffy and then, as a result of that, they'll often open them out to breathe. And that kind of starts the vicious circle because as soon as you start opening them out to breathe, then your nose is going to get even more stuffy. So, to what, decongest why is the that? nose. Do we know why that is? There's different theories as to why it's happening. But one, of, one theory, and there's a number of papers to support it, is based on carbon dioxide. Because again, when you're breathing too much, you're losing CO2. Right. And it's the loss of CO2. Arterial blood vessels constrict, but venous blood vessels expand. So you have inflammation of the nose as a result of breathing too much. Now, another theory in that the exercise that we do helps to decongest the nose. It may be because we're able to activate the sympathetic or the stress response of the body. So we're giving the body a little bit of a nudge. And by doing that, by just by changing the environment, we can open up the nose. Okay. so I'll explain it anyway. It's very simple. Now, for your individual, say, with high blood pressure, with any kind of heart complaints or any serious medical complaints I'd say go pretty easy with it. But for everybody else, like it is a safe enough exercise. So to decongest the nose, we take it's a normal breath in through the nose, a normal breath out through the nose. You pinch the nose with the finger and you hold your breath. And as you're holding your breath, you start nodding your head up and down and you hold your breath until you feel a fairly strong air shortage. So if you keep on holding your breath, keep holding your breath. And as you're holding your breath, Clint, keep relaxing into the body. Keep relaxing into the body and keep holding the breath until you feel a fairly strong air shortage. When the air shortage gets, same medium to strong, just let go, breathe through your nose. So maybe let go there. Let go there. Because I don't want to overdo it on the first one. We'll do a couple of, you know, um, so maybe even with the first one, go easy enough with it and we'll build it. So that's the exercise that we would use to unblock the nose. Now, you can feel a little bit lightheaded just doing that. Don't worry about it. It's just initial. So we do it five times and the nose should start to open up. And you can test your nose. If you do this for me, Clint, okay, you're doing it again. You want me to keep on holding. Yeah. So you're holding your breath. Keep holding, keep holding, keep nodding your head up and down. Continue to do it until you feel a medium to strong air shortage, but it shouldn't be stressful. So it shouldn't be stressful. So continue to do it until you feel a medium and then to release and minimize your breathing at the end. Now, if people say have arthritic issues, maybe they'd be better off just gently swaying their entire body as opposed to their neck, depending on the individual. Um, you could actually do it just walking around. The exercises that we do is we have a combination of addressing dysfunctional breathing pattern and also breath hold exercises. So we'll do this a couple of more times. I 'll just give you a little time to recover, but. To ch- Small breath in, small breath out, pinch your nose, nod your head, and keep holding your breath and hold your breath and as you're holding your breath, keep relaxing into the body. Hold your breath until you feel a distinct strong, distinct urge to breathe, and then let go breathe through your nose and minimize your breathing and let's minimize your breathing then. So we still need to do it about two more times. now that exercise is different than our other exercises, so you won't feel generally, you won't feel warmer during doing that exercise. Some people do, but generally they won't. They could actually feel colder. So you have to keep on holding the, breath, keep holding the 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 breath. And when it gets pretty difficult, you let go, you breathe through your nose. And then we'll just do it once more. Now, if you had nasal, slight nasal obstruction, which generally most people will have one nostril is a little bit more blocked than the other. If it's reversible, it will open up.
0: Hey, whilst I do my next uh, exercise, can you just comment on whether or not it's normal to have one nostril work while the other one takes a rest, or is that something that Mum told yes. me that was not true? While I do it again,
1: no, it's absolutely true. Um, in in a good nose, which works pretty well, they'll switch every ninety minutes or so. And one of the theories is that. The side of the nostril whatever hemisphere of the brain is working and um, is influenced by whichever nostril is is open and closed is that right and yogi this has been put to the test as well because yogi would do alternate nasal breathing so they switch in order to activate different hemispheres of the brain so say for a right-handed person If, for instance, your nose is very much blocked and you're breathing through the right nostril, it means that you're activating the left hemisphere, you'll tend to be more excited. So in order then to calm the individual, you want to block the right nostril to breathe through the left to activate the right hemisphere of the brain to calm the individual down. So it is a book called Psychological Approaches to Breathing and they speak about this, you know, the the rhythmic. Now, some people with devi- I have a deviated septum. So you'll find in that instance that they don't work as good as they should be. But we've only one rule of thumb. If you can breathe through your nose for one minute, you can do it for life. So if somebody comes in to me with nasal congestion, I have them do that exercise. And if they can breathe through their nose for one minute, they can do it for life. Now, they may feel that they're not getting enough air initially. But the exercises are designed then to slow down breathing to reset the respiratory center in the brain so that their breathing is light so that they can maintain nasal breathing.
0: Okay, well, this is fascinating to me so far. This is really, really interesting stuff. I tell you, when I was developing a lot of my digestive issues before I actually got rheumatoid arthritis, I used to find that eating ice cream or eating wheat foods would instantly cause my nose to block. So there was something going on at that uh, pre-rheumatoid phase where, my, where within minutes my nasal passage would block. Now, I never knew yes. how to shift that situation. And every now and then, uh, whether it be pollen or maybe there are still some food sensitivities that I have, but sometimes that does happen and I can't explain it. And so now I'm going to use that technique to try and clear it because I think we all know intuitively that nasal breathing is the optimum method and that that's how we should be breathing. And everything you've just explained is all of the stuff that we don't know, but, uh, you know, it's fascinating to people who just kind of don't think about it too much. You know what
1: I mean? The human nose doesn't get the attention it deserves and it's crying out for attention (laughs) and I spoke about nitric oxide earlier on you know if you look at somebody's breathing if they're breathing using their mouth they breathe using their upper chest once you start breathing through the nose you start activating the diaphragm so you start taking the air from the upper down into the lower but also once you start breathing through the nose nitric oxide takes the blood from the lower lobes of the lungs to the upper. So breathing through the nose brings the air from the upper part of the lungs to the lower and nitric oxide brings the blood from the lower parts because the concentration of blood in the lungs is mostly in the lower part because of gravity, because we stand up. So nitric oxide redistributes the blood through the lungs and nasal breathing redistributes the air. So it's called ventilation perfusion. And we want ventilation perfusion because we need a good gas exchange taking place. There's no point in having the greatest concentration of blood in the lower lobes and the greatest concentration of airflow in the upper because there's a mismatch there. And it's probably in that reason that it's been shown to improve arterial oxygen uptake. However, they do know with tuberculosis that it's very important that, for instance, in reducing chest infections, and I'm sure then I can take it one step further, not just people who have TB who are prone to chest infections that that ventilation perfusion is very important for keeping chest infections to a minimum. The nose sterilizes the incoming air and the mouth doesn't. Now, I want to talk about how can you breathe to change your blood circulation? And I think this is very important in order to get more oxygen delivery to the cells. And it's very simple. Earlier on, I talked about how do we breathe when we get stressed? We said we breathe faster. Well, I said, okay. well, then we need to slow down the breath. So... I'm going to have you now as the the guinea pig. So one hand on chest, one hand just above your navel. So you're sitting up straight, one hand on chest, one hand on your navel. And all I would like you to do is just to tune into your breath. So probably the easiest place to feel the breath is just coming in and out of the nose. So you may feel the slightly colder air coming into the nose and you may feel the slightly warmer air leaving your nose. So you may feel the slightly cold See, there's your breath in there. And there's your breath out. There's your breath in. And there's your breath out. So you're just gently feeling the airflow coming in and out of your nose. And don't worry if you don't get it quite right, because, you know, it it can take a little while to master, but I'll give you the basics. What I want you to do now is just to gently slow down the speed of air as it enters and leaves your nostrils. So as you're feeling the air coming into your nose, I want you to slow down the speed of the air as it enters and leaves your nostrils. I want you to slow down your breath, not to hold the breath, not to freeze your breathing, not to deliberately interfere with your breathing muscles, just to gently soften and slow down the breath. But I need you to slow down your breathing to the point that you feel that you're not getting enough air. And we will explain that later. So I want you to gently slow down your breath to the point that you feel you're not getting enough air. And I want you to try and maintain it there. Now, if it gets a bit stressful for you and your breathing muscles get jumpy, just take a big, bigger breath or take a rest for 10 or 15 seconds. But until then, keep gently softening the breath, keep gently quietening the breath, keep gently calming the breath. So your objective is to tune into the airflow coming into the nose and tune into the airflow, leaving the nose and gently soften the airflow as it enters and leaves your nostrils. So you're slowing down the speed of the air coming into the nose and you're slowing down the speed of the air as it leaves your nose. And your objective is, can you breathe so lightly, almost as if you're not breathing? So the general rule of thumb during rest is our breath should be through the nose. It should be light, quiet calm, driven by the diaphragm, regular and gently paused on the exhale. So we're just gently softening the breath. But here during this exercise, I need you to feel air shortage. I need you to feel that you're not getting enough air. So we're just gently softening the breath. Now, the need for more air is not a drop of oxygen. It signifies that carbon dioxide is accumulated a little bit in the blood. But as I said earlier, Carbon dioxide is the catalyst for the release of oxygen from the red blood cells, the Bohr effect. CO2 increases, pH lowers, and oxygen is released more readily from the red blood cells to the cells. But as carbon dioxide increases, it will also influence your blood circulation. And as you gently soften and reduce your breathing, it may activate the parasympathetic nervous system. So we'll continue, say, for about 20 more seconds. Again, you're just tuning into the breath in, tuning into the breath out. And you're just gently softening the breath, quietening the breath. Don't hold the breath. Don't freeze your breathing. All you're doing is just slowing down the speed of air as it enters and leaves your nostrils. So you're slowing down the speed of air coming into the nose and you're slowing down the speed of air as it leaves your nose. The objective is that you feel that you're not getting enough air. If it feels too much for you, make your breathing a little bit bigger. If it's too little, the air shortage, make your breathing a bit smaller. So just take a rest at that. Mm, so you can take a rest at that. It's um. a little bit strange because we have this belief, you know, that the more air we breathe, the better. Now, your eyes are glassy, which are a good sign. Is there any change in the saliva in the mouth? Is your mouth drier or is it wetter? or is it the same?
0: That's the one thing I wasn't paying attention to because I was thinking about okay. the other things.
1: But I That's feel, right. I feel right. very Any change in temperature.
0: I feel very energized. Like I feel very, very primed to uh you know, I feel alert and primed, ready for, you know, whatever we've we've got to do next. And my nose is breathing exceptionally clear. It feels you can feel really it really clear. It was clear before we started this conversation. I paid attention to that before sure. we started talking. Yeah. And it was clear when you asked me to do the exercises, the first set, but it's super clear yeah. now. It's just
1: okay.
0: resistance free.
1: We're going to do another three minute session. And okay. um, so, what I'd like you to do now is, Clint, I'd like you to take a small breath into your nose, a small breath out into your nose, pinch your nose. And again, gently, or you can sway your body to give people a different So you're holding your breath and sway your body. Okay. So whenever you go, you just do it once. So you keep holding your breath until you feel a medium to strong air shortage. and then let go and then calm your breathing and then calm your breathing. Okay. So there's two aspects to it. The reduced breathing that we do will tend to activate the parasympathetic nervous system, but this will tend, the breath hold tends to activate the sympathetic. So we're taking the body out of sympathetic, parasympathetic, sympathetic, parasympathetic, and it may be that we're causing the body to make adaptations. Now with physical exercise, we use pulse oximetry, so we measure We have a little handheld device, they're very simple. You buy them very cheaply and we're looking at pulse oximetry. During normal physical exercise, oxygen levels may drop, say, the SpO2, which is how fully loaded are the red blood cells with oxygen. It'll drop from about, say, 98 would be normal during physical exercise, maybe down to 93. That would be during intense sprinting, for example. Now, we take it one step further. By incorporating breath holes during exercise, we take oxygen from 98 down to about 85 to 80. So we completely disturb the amount of oxygen. Um, But at the same time, carbon dioxide, we greatly increase carbon dioxide. So we cause a hypoxic hypercapnic response. Okay. Now, when you subject the cells to less oxygen uh, because of hypoxia, The hydrogen ion that's coming from the metabolism isn't going to get neutralized because there's not sufficient oxygen. And as a result, then it associates with pyruvic acid and it forms lactic acid. So you've got increased acidosis. Now, increased acidosis is a problem with people doing physical exercise, not just athletes. You could have somebody with chronic fatigue and they go out for a 20 minute walk and they feel very, the pain can be as a result of the increased acidity. Now, what we do is, We have them do very limited physical exercise. It could be just walking 15 paces, but we do breath holding. So we're using the 15 paces to disturb the blood gases. And as a result of the disturbance to blood gases, so that the body makes adaptations. So the body improves its buffering capacity. So the body then is able to cope with to delay the onset of fatigue and lactic acid. Now, most of my work is with sprinters at a pretty good level because, of course, they're going to be on anaerobic when they're during their sprint. So we do that. But the same principle, and um, the buteco method, one of the symptoms of using the buteco method, and I have to say, I've only worked with a small amount of people with arthritis, so I can't give you, you know, it wasn't the field that I specifically worked in, but the principle, like one of the symptoms or the conditions helped with the Buteca method in Russia is arthritis. And I can send you on the list, you know, so that you, you can see through it. Um, but I think with somebody who's impeded from doing physical exercise, how can you make the maximum out of their physical exercise when they've got limited mobility, instead of getting them to go faster, we restrict the air intake and that causes the adaptations.
0: That's awesome because some of our listeners and some of the people who are afflicted very heavily with this condition are not able to do a lot of exercise. And my general guidelines to everyone is the more exercise, the better. Now, there is an exception to that. And that I think is the extreme exercise, which virtually none of us are capable of if we've had damage to our joints or whatever, like not many of folks with RA are sprinters. But I think and maybe this this doesn't quite connect with what you've just said, but to, just to close off what you just said, I think that's very very powerful. And if you have a technique for how to do that, or maybe that's something they people can get from your book, because um, I have more questions for you, and we're we're kind of using up a lot of time here. But let me let me ask you a question about the acidosis and moderate exercise versus acidosis and extreme exercise, because almost without exception people with rheumatoid arthritis, if they engage in medium level or cardiovascular levels of exercise, have pain relief as a result. And up until now, my explanations around this include one of which is to drive down acid levels in the body because it's, it's in an oxygen state, the exercise. With your expertise, how do you feel about that kind of explanation as part of There's several other reasons as well, like moving the lymphatic system and getting the joints moving, which helps to clear out circulating immune complexes. But I feel that a reduction in acidosis due to oxygenated exercise is part of it. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, I would would agree with you. Um, I think another aspect may be the increase in heat. You know, that the muscle, you're increasing body temperature because... Again, there's a number of factors that that caused the release of oxygen from the red blood cells. If if I measure somebody's pulse oximetry, generally it's normal. But then I speak to the individual, they say they're tired and they've they've got these issues. And these issues can be related to not enough oxygen being delivered to the cells. Now, there's plenty of oxygen in the blood, but the oxygen isn't getting from the blood to the cells. Now, we would look at chronic hyperventilation, the loss of CO2, the bond between oxygen and red blood cells threatened. However, another factor that causes the release of oxygen from the red blood cells is increase in body temperature. If you move a muscle, the muscle gets hot and generates carbon dioxide. And those conditions facilitate, because that muscle is telling the body, I need oxygen. So by getting hot and by increasing CO2, Oxygen comes to the muscle, so the cardiovascular exercise. You're you're increasing CO2. You also because it's within your limits, you're not going into that hypoxic state. Um, but I would think that some people may, if they're quite, you know, quite seriously debilitated, that even a light physical exercise with them could actually increase the acidosis. So. I wouldn't exactly know what exactly is happening, but from the point of view, I think body temperature can be considered as well in how it's helping the individual. You're producing more carbon dioxide. Anything that helps to get more oxygen to the cells has to be a good thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, fascinating. All right, well, I had a huge list of questions here. We've we've had a wonderful discussion. I hope people are finding this extremely valuable. I certainly am. Have you got any more fundamentals that we should go through that you could describe or the ones that you've covered should that get is like should that get most people through most of the nasal breathing congestion problems
1: Yeah you know like look at sleep as well a lot of people wake up with a dry mouth in the morning we actually use a piece of paper tape um, and I know it seems a little bit strange because we do want to ensure nasal breathing the individual wakes up alert when you're alert, waking up in the morning, you'll tend to have a better day. Whereas if you're waking up groggy all the time, you know, there's a mental aspect to it as well. So nose breathing all the time. And if nose gets congested, you can use the, the, the nasal congestion exercise. I would encourage individuals to practice slowing down their breath and seeing can they change their body temperature. That's a question if I forgot to ask you earlier. You know, when you're slowing down your breath to the point you have air shortage, If you sustain that air hunger over, say, three to five minutes, your body temperature should increase a little bit. And that that. will show you that you're, you are you did it, feel it. That will show you, which is great, um, that the blood vessels are opening up a little bit. Be conscious of your breathing during stress and also physical exercise with the mouth closed. So I spent four years writing a book called The Oxygen Advantage, and that was looking at it specifically for sports. And there's other books out there as well that I've written you know, for anxiety and different complaints, because the, the, I suppose the main topics that I would have worked with are sleep, respiratory, um, anxiety, and children. Children who grow up mouth breathing, it changes the shape of the face. So then you have a narrow nasal cavity, narrow nostrils, jaws that are set back, narrow wearaways. And this has been well documented, that a child who persistently mouth breathes during childhood, It increases the risk of obstructive sleep apnea, not just during childhood, but for lifelong because their jaws are not forward enough in the face. So I think there's a huge awareness that we really need in terms of getting the information out there. I would also suggest, you know, alongside the exercise programs that I'm sure you're doing, physical exercise, maybe bring in some breath holding because you're going to push the boundaries a little bit. You're challenging the body. But you're challenging it within, you know, its limits. So you can get the adaptations, but you shouldn't be pushing the body into, you know, into sickness, if you get what I mean. Of course. Uh, breath Holding is a, I have a guy, as I was saying to you just before we, we went on here, and I was working with him via Skype. And he's been using this with kettlebell training. Now, he doesn't do any explosive exercise. He does limited motion Um, He's a 33-year-old young guy, but he was, you know, arthritis that was to the point that it was quite limiting from. He's found quite a difference with it. We still have some, this needs research, this area. What's going on exactly, I don't know. But all we know is that there's no side effects from breathing through your nose. There's no side effects from changing your breathing. And bringing in breath-holding will challenge the body a little bit once you don't overdo it. And most people, you know, you can do it within your own limits very easily. So I think it's worth pursuing, absolutely, yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, I'm sure everyone listening to this right now is trying to breathe through their nose whilst uh, whilst <laughs> taking this information. We've had a guest on the show in the past called Wim Hof. I'm sure you've come across a lot yes. of his work. Are there similarities yes. and differences? And what are your thoughts on any overlap with the sort of uh, strategies that, that you put forward compared to what Wim teaches?
1: You know, there, there are similarities in, in terms of the, the breath aspect of it. And um, Vim, he does 25 big breaths in and out through the mouth. We wouldn't necessarily agree with mouth breathing, but I don't agree with the big breathing. Um, because it doesn't bring any more oxygen to the blood, but it will lower CO2. Now, the breath holding that he does, I absolutely agree with that. That's what we do ourselves. And funnily enough, he breathes out in holes is what we do, because you get a higher hypoxic, um, a stronger hypoxic hypercapnic response. So there's more similarities than there is differences. And the main difference is the 25 big breaths. We just don't do the 25 big breaths. We do the breath holds. We've got different exercise doing the breath holds. We, we generally have pulse oximetry to see that the, the oxygen saturation lowering. And I think it's good because it is a challenge to the body. If you hold your breath to disturb blood gases, you're going to force the body to make adaptations and by reducing the, by increasing the buffering capacity, you know, that's when there's a delayed onset of lactic acid and fatigue in terms of physical exercise, but also when you address dysfunctional breathing patterns, you get more oxygen delivery to the cells. So if you have better breathing in the first place, you get better oxygen delivery. So there's quite a lot going on there. I like his work. I think his work is very good. And, you know, I've read his book. I watched some of the videos. And I have to say that's the most commonest question that we've been asked to the point that we've, last week we said we can't answer each individual email. So we said we're gonna put a page together which we put up on our website, making it just a comparison so people can check it themselves.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, that's that's very reassuring to hear. Now, let's see if there was something. Look, let's talk specifically any experience or anecdotal evidence that you have with arthritis and nasal breathing techniques. Do you think that it's possible to relieve pain directly from improved breathing? My gut feeling on this is yes, yes. but I'd love your input on that as we uh, sort of get towards the end of this conversation.
1: I would say yes but only on one premise, that we can improve oxygen delivery to the cells. If, for instance, I went down to my local, I'm going to say Western yoga, and I don't want to label everybody in the same, okay? But if I went down to my local Western yoga, and if I'm told to take big breaths and to fill my lungs during rest, and if I can hear people breathing in the studio, I'm going to say it's not going to make sense. Western civilization is breathing too much. We are eating too much. We are breathing too much. If we are eating too much, it doesn't make sense to to tell somebody to eat even more. And with breathing too much, it doesn't make sense. We should be telling them to breathe less. I think the best way to prove this is if your clients are working in yoga, instead of taking the big breaths, have subtle breathing and make their breathing as light as possible. If you think of it this way, When we do meditation and if we go into after, say, a long term meditation involving days, our breath almost diminishes to the point of nothing. And what we do is bypass relaxation, bypass the meditation, just deliberately slow down the breath to nothing. And on that basis, we can get the adaptations. So breathing is great, but be careful how you breathe.
0: Fantastic. One of the instructions in the Bikram yoga class that I've been to several hundred times, this very strict yes. teachers, the very strict teachers, uh, say that you, we shouldn't be hearing anyone breathing during the periods of uh, savasana on the floor. Yes, and then meditation, two thumbs up. Just to use the technique of breathing that you've just described, beneficial, correct.
1: Yes. um, i will be happy to send you on an MP3 file if you want to share it with your, your, your oh, listeners. That, that'd be great. Um, it's it's involving relaxation, but it's incorporating the instruction with the relaxation so you can do the two together. You know, I think meditation is brilliant. Our minds are so busy. Information, technology, Internet has even made the minds even busier. And stress is a component in any sickness. You know, I th- I'm not saying that stress is absolutely their component, but it can be a component. I think it's very important that when we practice breath, that it helps to restore homeostasis. It helps to activate the parasympathetic nervous system, so that the body can help itself. And um, so I'll send it on to you as well.
0: That's fantastic. Well, we've covered some really great stuff. We talked about. Nitrogen oxide via the nose, creating more oxygen into our cells. Yes. We talked about a couple of techniques that are very powerful for clearing up our nose so that we can have better nasal breathing. And if we can do it for a minute, we should be able to do it for a lifetime. And it's a habitual thing. Yes. And uh, we went over the importance of getting our children to make sure they breathe through the nose because uh, we can get some slight changes to facial structure and everything if we breathe through the mouth. You're a supporter yes. of yoga as long as we, uh, we're we silent and with our breathing and, uh, and nice and controlled breaths. Yeah. We can practice some breath holding uh, carefully and we'll get some directions from you from your website in a moment on where we can get the guidelines for that. I'm very pleased to hear that for the most part there's a lot of overlaps with the Wim Hof method because a lot of our listeners yes. have, uh, have enjoyed doing uh, his techniques and um, I was really uh, – really interested in about the uh, the exercise part of things as well, where there's an acidosis thing at play. It's complicated, but uh, but there's, there's going to be some benefits with regards to uh, the heat in the joints, uh, sorry, the heat in the uh, body's parts that are being moved that's going to add to oxygenation. So all of this has been very, very good. Is there anything that we've missed that you feel is some parting words that we should definitely uh, include before we
1: wrap this up? I think it's good for people to, to observe their breath and observe how do they breathe. You know, the rule of thumb that I use is if you were to look down at your chest and tummy, it should be quite difficult to pick up on your breathing. Whereas if for instance, you can see your breathing easy, or there's no natural pauses or the amplitude is quite large. You know, and we also have a measurement called a control pause. We have a measurement called a control pause that gives people some feedback there's a lot of free videos we have up on YouTube that people can start watching it And um, for sleep. Some of the exercises are up there. You know, there's a lot of stuff up there that's out there that people can be helping themselves. And I would say absolutely, you know, I think the breath is is very important in many ways for the mind and for the body.
0: Fantastic. Well, Patrick, how do people find out more from you? Is the best thing to, to go uh, to your website or is there a better place to go?
1: Yeah. We have a lot of information on our website, buteykoclinic.com is the website, that's B-U-T-E-Y-K-O clinic.com, and for sports, in terms of delaying acidosis in athletes, um, etc., or exercise-induced asthma, oxygenadvantage.com.
0: And do you do Skype consultations? Because I would encourage anyone listening to this recording, if you have trouble breathing through your nose, then everything is harder when you're not got that fundamental in place. So is that something
1: that you do? My travel commitments can be quite high. So I don't always do them. I can do them every now and again, but we do them from our office all the time. So sometimes I'm here, but sometimes I'm not for months. I can be traveling and I visit Australia, for example, I was just there in November. Um, so I'm there again next or this coming November as well. So so yeah, so from country to country. In between that, sometimes I try and fit Skypes in if I can.
0: Yeah, fantastic. All right. Well, people can do that from your website. I'll put both the links of those two different websites on the show notes of this episode. Uh, go check out Patrick's uh, YouTube channel. What's that called?
1: your Clinic.
0: Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Patrick. This has been... Uh, very Makes educational a and very hands-on as well this is the first time i've had to be involved with these exercises on a on an episode <laughs> <laughs> so that's been a lot of fun i'm very grateful and uh thank you for all the work that you're doing
1: no problem thank you very much Clint. it was great
0: you've been listening to the Patterson program for more information visit pattisonprogram.com